John, can you get it? Is it going? All right, perfect. Now, now I heard it. Uh, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. All right, I gotta be loud. All right, I'm gonna start from the beginning. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Man, you guys can grab your seats. So last night, uh, Rach and I went up to Seattle, and some of you guys, everybody I think knows who the Dembowskis are. They're old, or the youngest. Josh got married, um, and uh, it happened. It was awesome. It was great. And so when the minister started talking, there were two beings, and then at the very end he said, let the two become one, and something happened. You see, marriage isn't everything that just leads up to a commitment moment, and then that's the pinnacle. Now they've started life together. And so my question for us this evening is, what is it like when God tells us in Scripture that you are a new creation? What are the implications of that? It's a little bit like a marriage and a pastor saying, let the two become one. Something new has been created. What do we know takes place when God says you are a brand new creation? So we're going to be looking at this evening. So if you'll open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter Five. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth, and he's describing to them their new standing, standing with God. And what is most significant is their calling to share this good news of what that standing means. So when the Apostle Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard nobody according to the flesh, that means there's something more fundamentally true about a person who is in Christ than anything else that is true about them. There is a capital T truth and a lowercase t truth. There are the intangibles, the temporary things about your life that are true, but the most ultimate truth about each one of us in Christ is that we firstly are a brand new creation Tonight we're going to be actually looking at the way of creation and God's heart to actually intimately create us in a way of being eye-to-eye, face-to-face with Him. He says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, the the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins, or better, our sins, against us. And he entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, And here's the appeal. We implore you, we plead with you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, the rejected one, 
for the express purpose so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's something crazy that takes place when we become a new creation in God. It's He remakes our soul and makes us more in tune with what He always intended for us to be. And so firstly, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we are forgiven. Paul tells us this, that He was reconciling the world to Himself. In verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling, bringing together the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What this tells us is when we become a new creation, it's not merely that we get the, the, we get to start over but God chooses not to count our offenses against us. Therefore, there's a removal of shame, of sorrow, of the consequences of our poor choices as far as our salvation goes, our eternal relationship with God goes. We still have to walk out the consequences sometimes, but God removes, he forgives us, and many of us in this space have been forgiven by God. But that's not the end of salvation. That's not the ultimate goal of Jesus coming to the earth was not to save you from your sins so that you could go back to living life and being productive for him or for yourself. He didn't come to fix a problem. He came to reconcile you to himself. He came to reintroduce relation, the relationship possibility where there was none. He, there was a fracture between humanity and God and somebody had to budge and we were too stubborn and unable to budge, to come to God and say, please have mercy. Therefore, God says, no, I will come to earth and I will lay the foundation for us to be able to remake house together. This is reconciliation. When it says in, in verse 21 that he made Jesus to become sin, that we may become the righteousness of God, that word righteousness is not merely uh, innocent as some people will interpret that word in like a legal setting. Like he, he, he has cleared your name so that you're no longer guilty. It can mean that, but in this context, it's more clearly understood to be a relational term. It's a term that describes righteousness as being set right with someone. It's, it's a relationship that has been brought back together. It is an ability to be friends once more. There is affection underneath the, the ideology or, or the, the language of, uh, uh, of reconciliation and righteousness. There is a, a familial covenant language. And so when we are told that we are forgiven and made new, I feel like that's where a lot of our Christianity stops. We're like, man, forgiveness is great. Thank you. That's good enough. It would have been enough if you just didn't punish me, but you forgive me, you wipe it away, and I don't have to carry the weight of that any longer. That is amazing. And so that's part of the gospel is many people are like, thank you, God, that I'm not going to hell. But you see, you were not designed for hell, and hell was not designed for you. Do you realize that hell was actually designed for Satan? That no human, no human was intended to be there? 
you were intended to be not merely at a ceasefire with your maker, where you've come to terms. I'll do what you want, then, then we're fine, right? No. You were not intended for a transactional relationship. You were intended for there to be an intimate relationship. A weaving together of your life and His life. Your life and the Spirit's life. Your life and the Son's life. Your life mixed up with the heart of God. You see, what Jesus died for was to create a return of intimacy, a return of oneness, a return of the ability to be together at peace. They say that, that uh, the, the test of your intimacy with another person or a relationship is your ability to be together in silence. How many of you guys have someone in your life where you can just sit there without Netflix on? Just sit there. Look at the clouds. Not say a word. This is what God actually designed for each and every one of us. Unfortunately, in our culture of productivity and consumerism, We've actually leaned into a way of interacting with God almost in a transactional way by nature. When we hear the word prayer, we're like, okay, that means I'm supposed to be talking to God, asking God, trusting God, listening to God, and it's a doing. Well, tonight we're not talking about that. We're talking about being. The way of being with God. Where physically you are, are moment by moment praying without ceasing, but you're not saying anything. You're just with God. So, for us to enter into a life with God, much like the Dombowski kids, the new Dombowski couple, they, they're starting out, they're stepping into their new season of life, they're cultivating things, they're going to have challenges, they're going to have moments where they have to plan and overcome challenges, just like all of our relationships and marriages, but there's also going to be these beautiful moments where they're just hanging out by the beach or at home, or gardening, sharing these beautiful moments. And for us to actually think about God, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, in a relational way, we need to recognize He's not just interested in what you can do for Him. And He's not just interested in what He can do for you. For us to interact with God as truly a person, we need to see Him for who He is someone who wants a deep, rich relationship with us. So for us to move past the utility of our faith, where it gets stuff done, where we cultivate a relationship with God that has more to do with richness of life than it does to do with earning or, or pleasing, or negotiating, or, or trying to pacify, or work towards, is just being. We need to, in, in every way possible, find the ability to personalize who God is to us. Early on, we've been talking about the idea that we want to see God. See God because he sees us. We want to personalize who he is and not treat him like a force to be navigated, but a person to be known and loved and listened to and paused with and, and, and delay in our time to be able to just linger with him. 
we in our community call life together with God faithful communion. It is our primary core building block of what it is to follow Jesus. It's to consistently be with God. Consistently be with God. 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18 gives us a, a reference point for the necessity of seeing God. Uh, we're told by Paul in the same section of Scripture, and we with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. A very real part of our interaction with God is simply looking at Him. Noticing Him. Admiring the goodness of Him. His glory is His beauty, His character, the things about Him that are unique. Much like we would sit across the table from someone that we love and we're just like, man, I love the way her hair falls off her shoulder like that. Not like falls off, that's me. Um, her, you know what I'm saying? I love the way, I know, it was like a, a low, low, low hanging fruit. Um, I love the way that, that, that she, she says that word. Or I love the way they think about this or their perspective on that. These are the things that it is to commune with God. It's to simply be with Him and, and allow His person to bring comfort to you. So, as we think about what it is to um, commune with God, we see that we firstly must have a proper perspective. We must look at God. Now, I know that's difficult to do because we, we don't have the ability to see the invisible God. Um, however, we do have, as some people have described it, different eyes to see. We have the eye of the body by which we see the world around us. So it's your physical eye. Um, other philosophers talk about the secondary eye of um, the mind in which we see the world within us. You can envision things. How many of you guys are, are visual people? You can just, you need to be able to envision it. I'm, not, I'm that way. And then thirdly, the eye of the heart by which we see God. The eye of the heart by which we see God. The practice of tuning and turning our attention towards our maker is one where, where we allow our imagination to concentrate and focus on capital T truth of who God is. So we're not making this up. We're allowing our imagination to go, help me to connect my thoughts with what you really are. And in that way, we're able to see God at work around us or embodied in the mind's eye and see him. If God is just a distant figure, then you're going to struggle to have intimacy with God. Yeah, and there's so many beautiful quotes in here. Um, one of the mo most influential books that I've read in the last year, uh, probably two years, is by Strawn Coleman, and uh, he's, he's just incredible. He's a guy from New Zealand, and tons of his writing is just filtering through tonight. And I encourage you to read his latest book, or his only book, actually. Uh, it's called Beholding. 
and it's about the, the, the quality or the character traits of how to engage with God as person. And there's such a resonance for me as I read through the pages as God has been cultivating in some of our discussions. In Actually, he does have another book. It's, he's got some prayer volumes. In prayer volume two, he says this, You look at me in the eyes, Father. You give me your full attention. You teach me, or sorry, please teach me how to do the same with you and to live life more present to my maker. In another place, he said, uh, beholding prayer or beholding God or seeing God is like looking at God, looking at you in love. It's intimate. So God, he is present. He is real. We're told that he is here among us. He's, he's not far from us. He's, he's closer than the air that touches our skin. He's present to us. But the challenge, I think, for some is yielding to him. Because God is love. And so if God is love and God is near, then why don't we feel, experience, and soak in God's love? You see, I think a lot of it has to do with our, our broken relationship with God, that even though we've been forgiven from sins through Christ, we're not living the life of reconciliation, this life of oneness, of intimacy, of day-in, day-out conversations throughout the day, bringing things to God and wrestling with God and sitting with God. And we're like, God, I want, why, why aren't you showing me love? But his love is there because God is love. And so learning the practice of simply yielding to it, God, you are love. And I want to just melt into your arms of love and allow your person to be you towards me. So there's a yielding to love. There is an invitation to, to lean in. Strawn Coleman says, Beholding prayer fundamentally uh, restructures our relationship with God from a working relationship with God to a divine friendship. It's being with God. It's conversing with God. It's enjoying God. It's not accomplishing anything other than His presence. In our Practicing the Way curriculum, it communicates uh, this statement. One of the most, uh, that's the most, that's mostly what prayer is, the authors say. The medium by which we experience the love of Christ. We're intended to be able to sit and be with God and experience His love, but it's difficult sometimes. It's difficult to be in a relationship and allow the other person to, to press in and for you to receive all that they are without losing something. So we need to yield and allow God to be himself towards us. And finally, the third component of communing with God is learning how to rest in his love. Just be. Just be in God's love. Not be active, not trying to please him. Just taking a deep breath. 
and being. Um, in, uh, in the book, this is really sad. I mean, this was supposed to be really cool, and we got it from the upper shelf of our garage, brought it here, and tried to blow it up, and it looked really good for a minute, and then it just kind of did one of those guys. He's, he's like, take me to the farm. We will after the service. Uh, over here, you've noticed we have a kayak as well. Um, another section in, in, uh, in what I've been reading from Strawn is he describes God um, as a river of love. That, that the love of God is like a river that is leading us into his heart. And he's like, yeah, sometimes in prayer, we, we jump into the river with God. That It's like us, whenever we pray, it's us entering into what God is doing. We're giving him our attention. We're drawing near to him. We're going, okay, whatever's going on with you, God, I want to be right in the middle of it. If you're moving this direction, I'll go with you. If we're going that direction, I'll go with you. But he's like, it's sometimes we're in, in the river of God's love in prayer, and we're paddling. And we're like, we're trying to make the most of our time. Sometimes we're pushing against the current. Sometimes we're joining in. We're using petition. We're asking God for things. And it's a work. And you're joining in with him. And it's, it's, it's active and moving. And many of us, that's a prayer life. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm good at asking for stuff. I'm good at telling God sorry. I'm really good at all these things that are active. But then Strong goes on to say, but also in a full relationship, there are seasons just like in a river where you just float. And you just let the river carry you along. And I love that image because this sounds exhausting. And honestly, if if I'm being real with you, the reason I don't, I don't, I'm not a champion of prayer. The reason I struggle with prayer is because that's the vision that I constantly have in my mind. And oftentimes, I'm just like, I've said all the words. There's no other thing I can do, God, to change your mind on this thing. All I can do is rest in you and allow you to carry me through. That's what communion is with God. It's like a surrender of the soul. It's it's stopping the fighting, the wrestling, and just being. Floating along and trusting that the direction God is leading you is towards good. Because we know that God does not come to take from, he comes to give to And his desire is that you would follow him. And notice it is in and out of the shepherd's pen to find pasture and safety. Where God is leading you is towards life. And so if you're tired and you're weary, and even after seven weeks of trying this prayer practice thing, it's been a hard one for me. (laughs) I just, I'm chaotic in my prayers. I pray a lot, but it's like, cannot get the one time a day thing going, man. It's like, oh my gosh. I don't know what it's been like for you guys. I hope you're having better luck than, than I am. But what God has been doing, it's he's meeting me in deeper and richer ways as I'm just being with him throughout the days. 
the presence of God is, is showing up in these pockets as, as we open them to him. So we are invited not merely to be forgiven, we are invited into a relationship, a true relationship, where, yes, we partner with God, we paddle sometimes, often, but there's also these moments where he's just like, I am accomplishing something that paddling won't help. You just need to be. And not alone, you are drenched in my love because right with you is right where I am. All around, moving, pulling, pushing you towards goodness. Yes, we need to get better at wasting time on and with God. We'll end with a passage from the Apostle Paul who says in Ephesians 3.16, this is one of his prayers, I pray that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, wouldn't that be a beautiful way to live? If in tuning our eyes to God and asking the Spirit of God to open our eyes, to understand, to experientially realize the glory of God found in the face of Jesus Christ as we uh, venture to gaze upon His glory, to contemplate his glory, to turn over in our minds the goodness of God, giving him the job to reveal who he is to us that it may energize our worship. God, just show me your glory. Just show me your glory. Just show me who you are. Just remind me of your character. Remind me of your presence. Open my eyes to see your activity. Help me to see and sense the movement of your love, even as I don't paddle, for me to just rest in you. You see, this is a salvation that God has in mind, that you are not the, the, the soul, you're, you're not the sum of what you do for God. He just wants, he wants a friend more than a partner. He wants someone to be with more than someone to just, I don't know, control. Robert Mullen says this, um, the deep inner posture of a joyful release of our life and being to God in absolute trust without demands, without conditions, without reservation. It is neither a passive resignation nor a fatalistic acquiescence to whatever comes. It is rather a consistent posture of actively turning our whole being towards God 
so that God's presence, his purpose, and power can be released through our lives in all situations. This is what it is to pray without ceasing, to sit with God, to remind yourself that he is always with you, always before you, and entangled with you. God is among us. And so there is a strength that can come from reminding yourself moment by moment uh, that God is with you. Sometimes people will use like a breath prayer as you're breathing out. You'll say a word and then you'll breathe in. You'll learn about that in your contending communities this coming week. But there's just something about what can we do to quickly return to the presence of God? Yesterday, as we were driving up to Seattle, I found myself thinking about my breath. The reason being is uh, in New Zealand, there's actually a, a tribe um, that they have this tradition. And it's called the, I think it's called the Hongi, which just sounds really weird, but it's H-O-N-G. And you grab hands with somebody, you don't, like, you meet somebody, you grab their hand, and then you put your other arm around their shoulder, you, pray, you place your forehead against, I need somebody to do this with me, just kidding, it's really intense. Um, you place your forehead against their forehead. Elijah, come here, let's do this. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah this is going to be weird. It'd be weird if it was with anybody besides you, um, or Rachel. All right, come on, we're going to hong you. It's going to be awesome. I've never done this before. I've heard it's very uncomfortable. Here, hand, all right, like this. Now, put your forehead against mine. Closer. Come on. Closer. Touch, <laughs> touch your nose against my nose. It's just a little. And then we stay like this. And we're so close that our breath is mixing together. I'm sorry. How much longer? You're, you're breathing what I'm breathing. I'm breathing what. It's, it's how you sh- Two people share one place. You said two, 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 one. Uh, and then they start reciting. Their ancestors, I can't, I don't even know, um, until they find a common ancestor. Thank you. Oh, no. That was not worth it. Um, I regret everything. Um, your breath smells great. Um, so in this Hongi, it's this idea where two people are able to cohabit the same place. And what's beautiful is, is this image of sharing, and as horrible as humans, but sharing the same breath. And I remember just breathing yesterday, going like, okay, as I breathe out, or no, God, as I breathe in, I'm breathing in your life. And as I breathe out, I'm giving you my life. I receive your life. And I give you my life. And then I get distracted and frustrated. And I'm like, God, I give you my frustration and my life. And I breathe in your peace and your life. And it was like this holy respiration, which John Wesley actually described years and years ago of like our breathing in of God and his word and his truth. And then us respirating or breathing back praises to him. It's this beautiful interweaving. What would it be like if we shared breath with God? That, that every moment we were breathing in his life-giving breath and we were giving to him ourselves every moment. You see, these are some of the practices of walking in communion with God. And it's something that's not just for the outlandish people. This is something you can do while you're 
packaging pack, packages to get shipped. Chris, this is something that you can do as you're milking your goats, Bethany. This is something you can do as, as you're weed whacking, my friend. Okay? God wants to be present to us in these little ways. And as we do, it's like his presence, the fullness of Christ fills us. See, these are the practical things that God has for us. I want to close um, by just inviting you to um, close your eyes. We're going to go back to the creation story, and I'm going to read you an excerpt. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because the words um, are, are beautiful. And so if you close your eyes and think, you were created for intimacy with God. In the beginning, when there is only silence and void, God creates. Like Bach, Mozart, or Beethoven, he weaves threads of life, gravity, and the suspense of spring and autumn with profound pleasure and promise. Explosions of life spring up into the vacuum of space. Twisted rock and gas, galaxies of dust and debris from a cosmos stretching so far it bends the tracks of time itself. There, amidst everything, a marble of green and blue is suspended. Sea and land separate with the clap of God's hand. Earth and sky pull apart by his joy-filled laughter. Life pops up in all kinds of species and places. But it isn't enough. God has something else on his mind, a deeper, more fulfilling relationship that can't yet be found in any other thing he's made. His love wants to be shared. He wants to create something that can return to him the vicarious joy he feels and can commune free of all the kinds of instincts or laws that rest of creation is bound by. So God kneels on the musty soil of planet Earth and he begins to gather it up into clumps. Tears of joy and love roll from his eyes, softening the dirt, giving him workable substance to bring into form a wonder unseen in the cosmos until then. Hands, feet, a head to carry the mind, a heart to inhabit the chest, legs, fingers, eyes, brows, and organs. God makes his human. Next, so that he can guarantee the image of this new creature will reflect his own, he does something exceptional. He leans over and kneels beside the form, laying out his legs and knees over ours, his chest against our chest, his arms stretched out across our arms until his face is finally pressed up against ours. Then, from this abundant longing, he takes a deep, excited breath and breathes out his life force. Our lungs expand. 
we take our very first breath out of complete darkness, we awake to life as a cosmic infant. Not even knowing yet how to open our eyes, slowly we draw up the muscle above our eyebrows, prying open our eyelids. In this sacred moment, the first impression of what life and the world will be, the very first thing we see is not soil, vast emptiness, or even a garden. It is the face of God, eye to eye mouth to mouth, chest to chest. This very first vision were shown of us and God in those first pages of Genesis is a profound, of profound intimacy. God, we know that you created us for intimacy. We were born to look at you, to see you, to interact with you in honesty and vulnerability. So God, I just pray that if, if there is anything that's holding us back from just entering into intimacy with you, God, whether it be we continue to live the old life or we need to be forgiven, Lord, would we allow you to take the sins in our life that need to be removed, God, because they're only in the way. They are a, a, an unwelcomed guest in our relationship. Sin is the unwelcomed interruption that only we have the ability to allow to get in the way. God, because you sent Jesus to die in our place, you conquered sin. Sin is no longer the issue. You have cleared the way for us to not merely be forgiven, but to be embraced to be brought near. For us to return to you, for your spirit to fill our lungs once more. And God, I know that imagery isn't natural, Lord, but when we become new creations, God, we Breathe your breath. Jesus, when you rose from the dead and went to the, the apostles in the upper room and they were terrified, God, you breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. So tonight, Lord God, I pray that you would breathe on us anew. God, would we learn to inhabit the same space together with you? Thank you, God, that you don't just save us so that we can be of use to you. You save us to love us. And so I just pray that we would find our home in you and become more and more at home in your presence 
as we are just with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In Israeli culture, only people that you're intimately connected with and trust and agree with share the table. And so for you, before you come to the table tonight, I want to encourage you, really take the table seriously this evening. And if things are off, please don't take the table. The table is an image. It's the embodiment of saying, I am, I am at home with you, God. Just like you're at home with me. You're here. And I want nothing more, nothing to stand in the way of just resting in your finished work. Let us rest in him tonight. So I'll invite you to the table as we worship these, this evening. Um, God bless you as we worship.
you stand with me this evening as we draw our time to a close? Lord, I just pray that you would allow us to take a deep breath. Because you have finished the work. You've torn away everything that would separate us from falling into your arms and enjoying you and your love. So in the name of Jesus, I just ask that you would break any chains that hold us back from believing that from seeing the smile on your face and the joy and sparkle in your eye. Lord, would you open our eyes this week to see you, to know you, to find rest in you. Would we breathe deeply of your presence? Thank you, Lord God, that you love us. We pray your blessing over the coming week, Lord God, and we ask you to continue to multiply your goodness here in this area, in our homes, in our city, and beyond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's, let's sing the doxology to close out, and then you all can go f- celebrate your father's dinners and all that. I think we got some dad's soda for... Any of you guys? Let's let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise